Hey, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can learn more about us by checking out our website at crosspointwestdallas.com. You can watch one of our services by going to our YouTube channel at Cross Point Church West Dallas. More than anything, we'd love to meet you in person and for you to be our guest on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. We would love to see you soon. And may God use this message to give power and grace to you today. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. Um, I love being with you guys. You're my family, and I hope you feel the same way about us. I hope you feel that you belong uh, to a family when you gather with us, uh, because that's who we're called to be. And uh, this morning, we are going to be talking about Genesis 11 and uh, what name recognition uh, kind of has done to us as a culture and as individuals. Imagine, imagine having such a deep, powerful impact on this world that after you died, someone could just say your first or last name and, and everyone would know who they're talking about. Imagine having made your mark in this world in such a profound way. For example... When I say the following names, we're all going to be thinking about the same person. Elvis, Cher, Madonna, Jordan, Hitler, Lincoln, Einstein, Oprah, Tiger, OJ, Prince, Hitchcock. Like all of you know who I'm talking about when I just say that person's first or last name, right? We, we all know. Since the 1940s, Americans have become obsessed with television shows about people who want to become famous, from the Ed Sullivan show to the 80s hit Fame to American Idol to America's Got Talent to The Voice. We will watch shows about people who want to be famous, uh, whether it's, it's famous singers or dancers or models or chefs or comedians or athletes or social media influencers. There are now shows where camera crews follow around families of teenagers who are TikTok famous, and we watch it. <laughs> a few weeks ago, a young woman came to our church. I, I didn't get a chance to meet her, but my daughter met her. She um, turns out she's a Division I college athlete who transferred here and is looking for a church. And my, my daughter later found her Instagram account to see if there were any highlights of her playing basketball or, or, or something. And she came to me excited, and she was like, Dad, she's verified. I was like, no way. So in case you don't know what, what it means to be verified, Instagram verification is how you prove that your Instagram account is the authentic presence of a, notable, of a notable public figure, celebrity, or global brand. People go through a lot of steps to be verified so that their followers know they're following the real person and not, some, not, not an imposter, these are people who are so talented or successful or famous that other people are creating Instagram accounts with their name attached to it. Think about that. So when they get verified, they get this blue check next to their name. It's like this round blue circle with a check. If you're verified, you have name recognition. Okay, that's what that means. It's a big deal. It basically means you have a huge following, you know. So one thing that we've learned through these early chapters in Genesis 
is that every human being from the beginning is fighting with God for glory. That's what we see with every generation. More people are fighting. They want to be like God. They want to be on God's level. And we are hardwired to put ourselves at the center of our world and to resist God's authority. That's just how we come into the world. We come into the world with this longing for glory. We would rather hear people tell us how great we are than hear someone talk about someone else who's greater. We want name recognition. And, and it's gotten so bad that instead of looking out for our brother and sister and neighbor, there's jealousy, envy, and rivalry. And at our worst, we spill the blood of anyone who stands between us and our glory. That's what we saw in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain. We all have this ego inside of us that craves glory and it craves attention. Last week, we left off with the devastation of Genesis 6, 7, and 8, where we see that God judged the world. And what we saw through that whole uh, narrative was that God's glory is revealed in salvation through judgment. God's glory is revealed in salvation through judgment. That's what the flood was all about. Noah and his family were protected through the flood. God sent the water to not only judge all living things on the earth, but the water also saved Noah and his family. And Noah and his family emerged from the ark on dry ground and they worshiped God. Noah offer, offered uh, animal sacrifices as an expression of worship and also to thank God for saving his family. He, he built an altar and sacrificed animals on it and that was a way for him to worship God. God established his covenant with Noah and all living things, promising to never again destroy the earth with a flood. And God put a sign. We didn't read about this last week, but God established a permanent sign of his promise by putting a bow in the sky. So that anytime that we see a rainbow, we are to remember God's faithfulness. Isn't that touching? It sounds, it sounds like a great new beginning. And it, and it was. You know, Noah begins farming again. Everything's going to be great, right? Here we go. Now things are going to be different. Except they're not different. <laughs> Before we even get to the end of chapter 9, Noah gets drunk and naked, and his middle child does something that ruins his family. What is it about the middle child? I wonder if this was the start of all middle child problems in, from Genesis chapter 9. And we're not going to go there this morning, but what we will see is that sin has not gone anywhere. Even, even after God's salvation is revealed through judgment, as soon as Noah steps out of the ark, sin enters the world again. God has established this covenant of grace that he is going to uphold at great cost to himself but sin re-enters the world through Noah's family, and then it just keeps growing again with each subsequent generation. And just a couple of generations after Noah, we read, we're going to read this account from Genesis chapter 11. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis 11 or turn on your Bible app, and we're going to just read the first nine verses. This will be a familiar story to many of you. And if you are a young person at Cross Point, um, this is going to be a familiar story to you as well. 
Here's what we read, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building this city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May your word come alive in us this morning. May we see your glory and may we understand, God, who you've called us to be. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your word will endure even when, even after all these things that we see today are stripped away. So may we put our faith and confidence in your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the major themes that we see in these, all these early chapters of Genesis is that this, this theme of sin as rebellion. That's what sin is. I mean, it's rebellion against God, our creator. And all humans have inherited a, a nature. It's just something we're born with that is bent on rebellion against God's authority and a desire to rob God of his glory. And here's something we see in every human heart from the very beginning is that rebellious hearts are self-absorbed. Rebellious hearts are bent inward, and we are so focused on us and what we need and what we want, and that, that's what it's all, that's what, that's what every human struggles with. And there's been a lot of debate among us Bible scholars over what the people in Genesis 11 actually did wrong. <laughs> Well, what did they do wrong? What was the problem? What was their offense? It's because it's not wrong for them to want to build a city. There's nothing wrong with wanting to build a city. There's nothing wrong with cities. And there's nothing inherently wrong with cities. God loves cities. We, we talked about that last week. It was not wrong for them to want to stick together and work together. Grand, elaborate buildings and architecture aren't bad. Progress is not bad. None of that is the problem. But there is an attitude and a goal in all of us that can be summed up by something that they said. And what they said was, let us make a name for ourselves. They wanted to be famous. That's what the problem was. They want to ascend. They are not content to be made in God's image to serve God. They want to be served. They want the glory and, you know, wanting to make a name for yourself doesn't sound that bad, does it? Like, who, who doesn't want to be successful? Who doesn't want to achieve great things? Who doesn't want to get noticed for something? Who doesn't want any praise? Who doesn't want their name to be remembered for something? Don't we all? Don't we all want that? 
As I thought about my own life and in things that I struggle with, I remembered something that happened about 15 years ago. I was in the back of a van. I just wanted to pause there for effect. Like, get you guys thinking about why was Pastor Dave in the back of a van and what was going on back there? Um, it wasn't anything sketchy, okay? I was in the back of this van with six other elders and pastors from our church at the time, and we were traveling back to Milwaukee from Ames, Iowa, and we had just attended this great conference and leadership workshop, and we were all amped up about what God was going to do through our church, but we understood that there were some things we needed to change. And one thing we needed to change was our language. For example, we had this mission statement at the time. It was like a paragraph long, and nobody could remember it. No, no one in the van even remembered what it, what it said. And so we realized we needed to, to change that and make it way more concise, like one sentence, you know, that people would remember that really describes who we are as a church. And so I was excited. I was all in. I was like, okay, this is, this is my thing. This is my jam. I'm an, I was an English major in college. I, I'm going to... I'm going to figure this out. And, and the guys were like talking, were spitballing ideas, and, throwing, and nothing was sticking. And I was just sitting in the back room, kind of quiet, and working this all out in my mind. And finally it came to me. And I said to the guys, guys, what about this? Proclaiming Christ together, changing lives forever. And as soon as I said that, everyone was like, yes, that is that's it. That's it. It's simple. It's clear. It's short. It captures what we're, captures what we're all about as a church, and that became our new. And by the way, I, I didn't have a smartphone. I wasn't. I didn't like borrow that from anybody. You know, I'm sure someone else had that mission statement, but I had never heard it before. And and that became our new mission statement for several years. And here's the reason I tell you that story. Okay, as soon as that mission statement was introduced to our church, nobody remembered where it came from. Nobody cared. And that bothered me. <laughs> All right? You see where I'm going with this? Like, I remember being in several meetings after that where someone would say, uh, remember our mission, guys? We're here to proclaim Christ together and change lives forever. And it would come up in, in meetings, and it was supposed to. Uh, but nobody ever said, Dave, thank you for that. Like, like well done. You know? And no, nobody was ever like, uh, well, um, uh, Dave, you know, thank you for, for saving us in that moment. Or, or remember that mission statement that Dave came up with in the back of the van? Nobody, nobody said that anymore. All they remembered was the statement, and that was the point. But I had a hard time letting go of, of you know, the fact that I had created that. I remember, one, I remember a meeting that happened years later, and someone was like, well, what, was that la- what was that mission statement we used to have? This was after we had changed it again. And, uh, and, I, and I said, because I, I of course I remembered it, I was like, uh, it was changing, it was, uh, I can't even remember it now, <laughs> something about proclaiming Christ and changing lives. And they're like, yeah, that was so good. And I was like, yeah, I remember, I remember it because I, I created it. I, I actually said that in a meeting. And I'll bet the people in the meeting could just see, see, my, see me patting myself on the back. It's like, what? who cares? We don't care that you came up with it. I was actually in a, I was actually in another meeting recently. Okay, this is no lie. And one of the guys was like, um, I don't remember whose idea this was, but that was such a good idea. And I said, I actually said, it was mine. And then I, I, I immediately, I was like, just shut up, Bloom. Nobody cares that it was your idea. 
Because everything good I've ever done is for God's glory, not mine. Why do I insist on taking the credit for things? You know, some people work to make a name for themselves by using bricks. And some people use money. And some use a physical, a special physical talent or ability. And some use words. But everyone is building a tower with their own name on it. In honor of themselves. And so, just going back to our story from Genesis 11, what, what is wrong with this picture? What's so bad about building a huge tower and becoming famous for it? What's wrong with having personal ambition? Is that the problem? Listen, here, here's the, let's think about what they don't do. They don't wait on God to confirm that this tower is something he wants them to build. They don't do that. Other people do that in the Bible. They don't pray. They don't worship God. They don't involve God in this decision at all. They don't set out to build this massive project by faith. What they're about to do, building this building, requires no faith in God. All it requires is ambition and some hard work and stick to And let me tell you, there's a big difference between faith and ambition. There is a big difference, and it, it, it appears subtle, but it's a huge difference. And that difference is not always easy to see. You know, there's... There's two different kinds of people in the church, and they both on the outside look very similar. Both come to church consistently, (laughs) both give generously, both worship and sing on Sunday mornings, and they both serve to make the church stronger and healthier. But in the end, one very significant thing separates them. One person is driven by self-love, and the other is driven by love for God. One of those people is driven by self-confidence and selfish ambition, and the other one is driven by faith and confidence in God and what God is able to do through them. Okay, it's a subtle difference. We don't always see that, but it's really, really significant. And this contrast is presented to us all over the Bible. For example, Jeremiah chapter 17 This is one of my favorite scriptures, beginning in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who, Who... really knows how bad it is. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Think about this. Even God says, I search all hearts and I examine secret motives. And I give people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Do you see the connection between motivation and action? God looks past our actions and he sees why we do things. We will not in the end be judged simply by what we've done or haven't done. Because there are a lot of people in this world who are doing a lot of good things. But they will be judged for why they did it. And if we're doing all those great things and achieving success... 
because we want the credit, we, we lose. These builders in Genesis 11, are, are they, they, listen, they are empowered and they are confident. And they are getting things done. But they are not empowered by God. They are not confident in God. They feel empowered by their own potential. They believe there's nothing they can't accomplish if they work together under a unified vision. And you've heard this language before from visionary leaders. You'll hear it in the church. We love talking about being unified and working towards the same vision and accomplishing our mission that God has given us. We talk about it. We love talking about vision and unity and collaboration. And we want to have a big vision, but is it God's vision? Are we doing it in God's strength? Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Remember, the Lord God built Eden. And Eden was supposed to be this mountain, mountain city or garden of God that was supposed to land and be spread and cultivated to fill the whole earth. But you know, we've already seen what happened with that project. Later on, we read about more mountains. God came down to meet Noah on Mount Ararat to make his covenant with him. And then later on, God comes down on Mount Sinai to meet with Moses and give his people a new way to live. And the New Testament, these mountain encounters continue with Jesus being transfigured on a mountain. And in the end, we have Mount Zion revealed as the city of God. And all over Scripture, we see this mountain theme where God meets with people for renewal and transformation on various mountains. But Babel is our mountain. At Babel, men are building their own mountain to meet with God on their terms. You see that? It's like in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve thought, what if we don't need God to be happy? And in Genesis 11, the people thought, what if we don't need God to reach heaven. That's what's happening here. Babel is where we say, okay, God, when we look up at the mountains, we see your strength and glory. We see you, but watch this. Or as Wisconsinites like to say, hold my beer. Uh, it's a, God, you think you're great? Watch what we can do. Imagine telling God to hold your beer while you go make a name for yourself. I mean, doesn't that just sound ridiculous? And yet that's what we're doing when we're building our own kingdom, we're saying, God, hold my beer. At least that's what I think of. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> what they started building in Genesis 11 was not really, was not really a mountain, by the way. The, the structure itself is believed to be uh, a, a ziggurat, which was a kind of temple that characterized ancient Mesopotamian civilizations and was used for religious purposes. It, it might have looked something like this. In fact, um, if you look at the, it's like a massive tower and staircase. It's really, the whole structure is just built to support the staircase. You can't go inside of it. There's, there's no going inside. It's not like a building you go into. The, the, the interior of this, the whole thing was like dirt fill, and then it's covered in um, fire um, kiln brick. That's what this is constructed of, and it was framed out by mud brick, and so the whole structure is, is just built to support the staircase which goes up on each side and at the top is this gate where you would enter 
And it's, it was a religious structure, sort of like a temple, uh, a worship temple. <laughs> but the irony is they built it in worship of themselves. And here we have a, a group of humans who are talented and driven and unified. And they have this huge vision for this city. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to see this vision become a reality. And even God says, if we don't stop them, there's nothing they won't be able to do. And so they're going to build this skyscraper. And they're going to storm the gates of heaven. And if God lets them continue on this path, they're only going to wander further away from God. And here's something we all know. The more successful you are in life through your own ambition, the less you're going to rely on God. Isn't that true? The less you will seek after God and the less satisfied you will be. Because God knows what we're capable of. He knows that as we experience more progress in technology and discovery and affluence, it will become harder and harder for us to see our need for God. Self-sufficiency hardens our hearts towards God. That's all it does. It doesn't get us anywhere. And Babel is a, is a picture of that. It's a picture of the foolishness of self-sufficiency. Because guess what happens? The, the, the tower never gets completed. It, and that, that brings us to God's response. He comes down. And the writer is, is, is wanting us to see the, com- the comedy in that. They're building this huge tower so they can get to God, and, and God has to come down to meet them. And he comes down and he confuses them. That's what Babel means. It means confusion. And God judges them by scattering them over the earth. And in fact, when we read the story of Babel, we're meant to walk away dreaming about a time when all the people of the earth will be brought together again. And, and maybe you've thought of that already. You know, isn't, don't we want the human race to come together in, in one mind, in one language, and do amazing things in God's power? Isn't that what we want? We, that's what we really want. We, you know, we, we, there's songs about it and movies about it, like that day when, when all humans will, you know, they'll tear down the barriers that divide us and we come together for the, for the common good. And, and we're meant to dream about that when we read this passage. There's something about this story that just leaves us unsettled because we know we were made to inhabit a different kind of world where everyone loves and everyone listens and everyone understands one another and cares for each other and works together in God's strength and for God's glory. And that brings us to the New Testament. And this passage, we didn't read it this morning, this passage actually starts, it's bookended by these genealogies. We read, uh, in Genesis 10, we read the, the genealogy of uh, Noah and his family for a few generations. And then we go back to the story of Babel. And we see how um, Genesis 11 kind of goes back a little bit. And then at the end of Genesis 11, we see another genealogy that leads us forward to another man, Abraham or Abram. And in the New Testament, this is really interesting, the the genealogical record picks up with Abraham and carries us forward to another man, Jesus. And when we get to Jesus, we see that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. 
And he's also a descendant of Eve. He also happens to be not just the, the promised seed of Abraham, but the promised seed of the woman who God promised in Genesis 3 would do battle with the serpent and emerge victorious. And one of the major battles between Satan and Jesus involved a very specific temptation where Satan tempted Jesus with glory. And Satan said to Jesus, Jesus, how would you like to be verified on Instagram? I can make that happen. Actually, what happened was Satan tempted Jesus by taking him to the highest mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And they said to Jesus, I can give you all of this. I can give you all of this so that you're worshipped. And Jesus said, get out of here. You must worship God alone and serve God alone. And that's what Jesus' whole life was about. Jesus pointed, Jesus pointed everyone to the Father. And that's what his life was about. He didn't take glory for himself. Instead of taking glory for himself, Jesus took humiliation for us. He was bruised and crushed for our sins. He took the judgment we deserved. He was treated like a criminal. He died in weakness, but he was raised in glory. He emerged from the grave victorious. And a few weeks later, Jesus ascended to heaven, and the disciples were confused when Jesus ascended. They were confused. Jesus, why are you leaving the earth? Why are you leaving us? They didn't know what was going to happen next. Some of them were afraid. Some of them doubted. But Jesus did tell them one thing. He said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait until the promised helper comes, the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be empowered, not in yourselves, but from on high. And they didn't really know how that was going to happen. You know, is the Holy Spirit going to knock on our door? Is he just going to, you know, is he just going to appear in glory and blind us with this blinding light? How is the Holy Spirit going to show up? And then we get to Acts chapter 2 the day of Pentecost, which we looked at a few months ago. And guess what happened? God came down again. God came down, and this time he did not come down to judge or confuse or to cause chaos or to scatter sinners. No, this time he came down to save and bring clarity and peace and to unify sinners under a new name. And now all the languages that once represented God's judgment now have been redeemed to represent God's salvation. You, you remember what happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down and the disciples began to speak in, in other languages to people all over the city of Jerusalem. They came and gathered. They heard this loud, this loud rushing wind like a storm. And then the disciples began speaking in different languages. And all of these Jews who were gathered from all the cities of the earth and spoke all these different languages. I mean, that was the thing that divided them was language. And all of a sudden... They all hear the good news of Jesus in their own language. And then what happens? They're unified by the good news. They're unified by the one name that matters, the name of Jesus. And a new community is formed. Made up of people from all these different tribes and, and languages and nations. And they all begin speaking the same name, Jesus and they begin taking the news of Jesus out into the world to, all, to sinners who are scattered everywhere and calling them under the name of Jesus to be part of this new family. The languages that once divided them were now the vehicles to tell others the good news about Jesus. 
Um, I, I, this morning, I, you know, some of you have earned, over the years, you've earned like medals or awards or certificates. Maybe in your office you have, you know, hanging on the wall, your degrees and certifications and things like that. Um, I believe that in this room, every single one of us has accomplished something significant, even many of the children. I asked one of our kids this morning to, um, to go grab me her favorite medal that she's, she's earned. And she's a, she's a gymnast, she's a competitive gymnast, and she brought down this one, and I knew she was going to bring down this one. This is a special one. Last year, she uh, competed, she competes every year at the state meet, and last year, she won first place all around at the level seven state meet. Okay, she beat out 130 other gymnasts um, between the ages of 11 and 16. And she, she, she beat them all. She won it, and that was her thing that she brought down. And our other kids have medals and trophies too that are they're all significant. They all matter. But you know what? Someday, this is going to end up in someone's trash. This isn't going to be around forever. I hate to tell you that, babe. Um, That was kind of a bait and switch, wasn't it? We'll talk later. Um, (laughs) You know, maybe there's an office building or a warehouse somewhere with your name on it and this brand that you've built and you've you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into that business. And I don't mean to take anything away from that. I really don't. I respect that. And maybe your kids' names are on the honor roll, or they were recognized by the local news for their accomplishments. But listen, there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with being famous or being verified. There really isn't. God made you to accomplish great things. God put his breath in you and his creativity and his drive in you. God made you to be like him. But all of our awards and medals and degrees are not for us. Your life is for God's glory. Everything you've ever accomplished is not for people to praise you. It's for people to praise God. And I just want to remind you that someday your name will be etched on a large stone or little placard to identify the exact location of your dead corpse. But if your life was lived for God's name and God's glory, you will live forever. And you will be raised with a new glorified body to inhabit a glorified world where God's presence just shines like, God's glory shines like the sun. A world without decay, a world without end. God is building a city that will outlast this world. And one day Jesus is going to bring that city down. And this world and all the layers of sin will be stripped away and melt away with all the elements. And Jesus' righteousness will fill the earth. That's the city we're called to live for. That's the city we're called to look forward to. We are called to wait for that city. So don't settle for this life. Don't settle for this world. Don't settle for what this world can offer you. Don't settle for human praise and worldly success. You are called to live by faith in the name of Jesus. 
In John chapter 20, verse 31, the author John tells us why he wrote his gospel. And he says, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you will have life by the power of his name. Not your name, his name. I was talking this morning with a friend in the lobby. His name's Ed, and many of you know him. And uh, I came up to him and I said, Hello, Edward. I said, is that your full name, Edward, Edwin? He's like, Eddie, I don't know. Call me whatever you want. I've been called a lot of things in my life. And then he got real serious, and he violated my personal space, and he got up into my face, which he loves to do, and he said, you know what? It doesn't matter what people call me. Every time I look in the mirror, I see the same reflection. I see my father. That's what he said. And that reminded me of a passage that I love from Matthew chapter 5. Where Jesus is speaking to the crowds. And he says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand. And the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise Your father. That's what this is all about. I mean, if you don't remember anything else that that, that I said this morning, remember that every great thing you ever do and every good work you ever do is so that when people look at you and when people look at that and when people look at the thing that you've built, they don't praise God, they praise you. That's the outcome we all want. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your glory and that you have called us out of this world to be your children and that we've inherited a new name that will outlast this world. So God, may we look forward to the city that is to come whose builder and architect is you, God. And may we long to be with you and may we point others in our lives to you. And when we get opportunities, God, when people praise us and when people brag about us and when we get opportunities to take credit for things, May we give you all the credit because none of it matters without you, God. Apart from you, we we can do nothing. God, we praise you this morning, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Please rise. I'd like to give you the benediction this morning from Matthew chapter 28. And these were the words that Matthew uh, remembers from Jesus ascending back into heaven. This is what he said. Please bow your heads and receive this word. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Hey, just to let you know, next week, uh, next Sunday morning, we're going to take a break from our series in Genesis just for one week. And we're going to do something we've never done before. It's going to be different and something. um, I think it's going to be really powerful. And so don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be really cool. I love you guys. We'll see you at the Chili Cook-Off Saturday night. And I can't wait to meet your friends. Hey, Pastor Dave, thanks again for listening to this message. We want you to know that what you just heard is a glimpse of what happens on Sunday mornings. But, you know, the church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday mornings. Coming to a service is, is just a slice 
of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And maybe the best way to do that is come to one of our services, but you can also go to our website and fill out a contact form and one of our pastors will follow up with you very shortly. Until then, we hope you have a great day and thanks again for listening.